Good morning, Village Church. Good morning. My name is Michael Fueling. I'm the lead pastor here. Welcome to week five, final week of our series on heaven and hell. Um, every sermon, I think, <clears throat> has sort of made our brains go, huh, <clears throat> didn't see that coming. Huh, never quite considered that. I have something that I call my hmm bucket. And every time I see something that go, I go, huh, I put it in a bucket. And every once in a while, I dump that bucket out and I go, it's a lot of curiosity. So in light of that, I would like to take you on a walk through a little bit of science or hypothetical science. Cosmologists observe the universe. And needless to say, there is much they do not understand. Two terms specifically were created to make sense of phenomena that nobody knows what to do with. And here are the two terms. The first is called dark matter. I've brought this up in previous sermons on heaven and hell, but I want to go a little bit deeper because I think it's pretty awesome. Dark matter is functionally invisible particles that we can't see. They're all actually hypothetical. And these particles uh, have a strong gravitational pull. And the reason why, so cosmologists assume, that galaxies fly through the Earth and don't separate is because of these invisible particles called dark matter. In fact, dark matter makes up the majority of the matter in the universe. How do you measure that which you cannot see? I have no idea. The other term is called dark energy. And you have to think about dark energy as the opposite of dark matter. Dark matter has a strong gravitational pull, and dark energy actually pushes matter away from each other. And so there's a phenomenon that is really hard to make sense of. It appears that all of the galaxies in the universe are moving further and further away at faster and faster rates. Now, if you take a gun and you shoot that gun, will the bullet inevitably slow down? The answer, of course, is yes. But something weird is happening out in the cosmos. Things are speeding up. And so they say, well, let's make sense of this. There must be some sort of invisible energy that we're going to call dark energy that is actually pulling on all of the galaxies and making them move faster and faster away from each other. In fact, they're moving so fast that about 20,000 stars per day are lost to our, vis our, our ability to see them because they're moving so fast. That's how many stars are out, out there. It's moving so fast. It's going so far away. So one of the theories, and I think this is absolutely awesome if it's true and hilarious if it's not, is, is that we are actually one, we'll call it, universe. And what's happening is that there is another universe that is coming right by ours, and we are actually being caught in its gravitational pull. What? Now, you might think that's crazy. There are actually Christian scientists who are trying to make sense of why everything in the cosmos is speeding up. And so now the multiverse theory is becoming more and more popular in not just secular science, but even Christian science. Now, I want to be clear. Theory. Sometimes it's fun to theorize. Now, we've said is we're going to root our minds in God's word and then use our holy imagination. I would love for you to go on a couple-minute journey with me through the 11 dimensions of plausible reality. You guys excited? I got one person over here. Yeah, here we go. I'm going to show you some pictures. We're going to blow your mind. And, and this is the best... This is the best that cosmologists can come up with right now as to why all these weird things are happening all around us. 
It's trying to answer questions like when our universe ends, what's on the other side of it, right? Um, again, theories. And I just, I think it's hilarious, the human brain trying to wrap its mind around infinity. So here is, here is the best that, that secular science has come up with. Ready? The first dimension, which you guys all know about, um, in, has two mathematical points. You're going to learn that with all the dimensions, mathematical points are very important. And it is a straight line. And any dimension above will seem weird to a first dimensional being. Now, what is a first, first dimensional being? We can't even hypothesize that, right? But, but imagine all you are is a line that's all you see. Well, there's another dimension here. And this is the second dimension. It has four mathematical points and represents a flat surface. A second dimensional being, there's actually a name for them. They call them flatlanders in cosmology world. And neither the first or second dimensional beings will have internal organs. Duh, right? Thank you for this. Um, we all live in what's called the third dimension. This is where we exist. The third dimension has eight mathematical points and represents anything with volume. We are classed as third dimensional beings and everything that we do is a third dimensional trait. So welcome to the third dimension in dimension land. You ready for things to get a little bit weirder? All right. The fourth dimension basically multiplies all the points by two, and then theoretical scientists have basically figured out, here's what that would mean if these things existed. Uh, here it is, number four. The fourth dimension has 16 mathematical points. A fourth dimensional being will be able to travel through time back and forth. So right now in the third dimension, we are limited to only one direction, but if you lived... In the fourth dimension, you could go back and forth through time. The fifth dimension has 32 mathematical points, and it represents, this is in their view, all of the parallel universes where all possible outcomes exist. Now, here's a theological question. Does God know all possible outcomes of all possible scenarios? And the answer you would say probably is yes. He could mathematically compute in his brain all the plausible outcomes. And so what they're trying to figure out here is, okay, there's got to be a fifth dimension here. And a fifth dimension being would be able to observe every single parallel universe all at once and know all the possibilities and alternate outcomes of our decisions. We're only in the fifth dimension, by the way. We have six to go. The sixth dimension has 64 mathematical points and represents time and space of all the parallel universes. A sixth dimension being could travel to all the parallel universes and time travel in all of those universes. Seventh dimension has 128 mathematical points and represents all of the multiverses. And the idea here is, well, if maybe there's another universe, what if there are trillions of other universes like ours? So everything you see out in the stars, that's our like one universe. What if there's trillions of those? And that's why our, our stars, if you will, our galaxies seem to be moving further apart because we just happen to be passing in the gravitational pole of another. And so here we have the seventh dimension. A seventh dimensional being would be able to observe all the multiverses at once. Let's go to the eighth dimension. The eighth dimension has 256 mathematical points. It represents time and space of all multiverses. An eighth dimensional being would be able to travel to all multiverses and time travel in all of those multiverses. Let's go to the ninth one. This is getting crazy. 512 mathematical points. A ninth dimensional being would be able to observe all the history and possible outcomes of all the multiverses all at once and be able to manipulate all the outcomes of those multiverses simultaneously. A 10th dimensional being has 1,024 mathematical points. A 10th dimensional being would be able to do and be everything you mention from being able to create and destroy life, universes, multiverses at will, 
to always existing and being everywhere at once, infinite in time and existence. And the 11th dimension to me is the most hilarious one. It has 2,048 mathematical points and basically says this would be, quote, God, as we can't comprehend what a possible God could do. Huh. My question is simply this. Uh, what if, what if even hypothetically this was true and sin never impacted this? And so here's what cosmologists say. They say, actually, there could be up to 26 dimensions, but the world, the particles of this universe are too unstable, so they all fold back into 11. Huh. What if there was ultimate stability in all the particles? What if, by the way, what if there were dimensions to the spiritual universe we haven't even begun to look at because we live and experience things and measure things primarily in the physical world? What if there's a spiritual dimension to reality that we have not even considered yet? Why do I bring all of this up? When you speak of eternity, when you speak about existing in the fullness of reality, our human brains barely comprehend a three-dimensional world and we're trying to wrap our mind around the theoretical possibilities mathematically of what could exist everywhere. And it's interesting as you get to the ninth, 10th, and 11th dimensions, other than some of the weird theological problems there are in this, right, with like multiple U's existing, obviously it's not theologically possible. Um, it sounds an awful lot like the capabilities of God, as if God lives on a different plane of existence and abilities than anything our brains could even possibly comprehend. And this is the best that, you know, scientific brains can come up with at the, at the moment. These are all just theories. But isn't it crazy that we are just struggling to figure out the nature of reality? So the Apostle Paul gets this vision into heaven. And here's what he says. He says, No eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. That there was something so otherworldly and inexplainable about what it was that even when we use normal three-dimensional language to describe eternity, it falls massively short. But somehow we have to try. We have to do our best to put this into words because that's what the Apostle Paul did. That's what John did. So open up your Bibles, Revelation chapter 21. We're going to look at Revelation 21 and 22 in different sections of this. And again, we're going to root our minds in God's word. It's fun to look at what theoretical science can say, but like we're going to actually root our minds in God's word. And we're going to try our best to understand some of the implications of what life on the new earth forever and ever will be like. And then we're going to fall up massively short. And then we're going to die one day. We're going to actually see all of this. And we're going to be like, Michael's sermon didn't even do this justice. And his articulation of modern secular science's best approach at understanding the dimensions of reality was so pathetic and short-sighted, right? Because God is bigger than even the dimensions that we can understand. So here's what I want to do. Um, I want to uh, encourage you with six new earth experiences that are waiting for you if you have trusted in Jesus. Number one, for the first time, you will experience all of reality. Chapter 21, verse one. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth, that's what we have right now, had passed away and the sea was no more. And then I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, 
adorned for her husband. Did you know that currently half or more of reality is hidden from your senses? That there, is, there are complete other aspects of this world, the spiritual world, that are very real, that are existing simultaneously alongside of us, and we have no ability with our senses to see them, process them, or even understand them. So what we find here is actually in the book of Genesis that when Adam and Eve fell, the spiritual and the physical experienced some kind of separation because in the garden, Adam and Eve and angels and God, they all walked and talked and hung out together. And then what happened is because of sin, God created a separation between all of them. And what's happening now in Revelation 21 is that the spiritual realm and the physical realm are converging back together. And in, with your new bodies, you will be able to experience the fullness of reality for the very first time. I, I want you to notice the atmosphere of Revelation 21. It is a wedding. It is a party. It's a celebration. One of my favorite things about officiating a wedding is I get to stand right there and the groom stands right there. I'm half tempted to have you raise your hand if I was at all a part of your wedding at all. There's a handful of you in this room, but um, I want to tell you what I get one, we got two, we got three, all right, four, um, we got five, <laughs> sorry. Um, but I want, to, I want to tell you what goes through the brain of a typical man as they stand right here and they wait for those doors to be opened. First, what is taking so long? <laughs> Second, she's gonna show, right? It'll be fine. Third, the door is open and it is just this massive, wonderful relief. Then finally the bride emerges and you know dudes, we do one thing well at a time and that's it. So we're watching. Everybody in the room ceases to exist and all of these emotions go through our bodies. For some of us, fear. And then it moves into excitement and then relief. I love, like about half of the dudes cry and the other half go, like they're really, really proud. I mean, there's no normal way, but like there are some typical things that happen here. And as she walks down the aisle, every dude I have ever stood with is just so proud that he gets to call this woman his bride. And then everything just kind of calms down. And then the ones who don't like to be in public, I always tell them, listen, I'll do most of the talking. All you have to do is say, I do, and maybe a vow will get there. Just relax. It's going to be fine. And I love that this is the scenario. This is the analogy that God is using. That one day, God will present to you, believer in Jesus, a new earth. And there will be a new Jerusalem, a new capital city, and God will present to you the most glorious, mesmerizing, beautiful capital city as a gift to you to explore, to enjoy, to delight in, to work in. And there is something about this place that as you see it for the first time, the shadow of the husband seeing his bride prepared for him, it's small in comparison to the reality. Here's what we know as shadows and substances. The shadow is always, always far less glorious and amazing than the substance. Number two, for the first time, Christian, you will experience 
continual delight and contentment. The wedding officiant um, speaks now at this point in verse three and says, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. In the same way on this earth, this side of the new earth, as a man is made for a woman, so on the new earth, our resurrection bodies were designed for God. This is one of the reasons, by the way, Jesus communicates explicitly that in the new earth, in the kingdom of God, there isn't going to be marriage because marriage is a temporary shadow. Marriage is good and it's great and it can be hard and terrible, but it is a shadow of a perfect, delightful experience that God has designed where he will be with you. Uh, For those of you who are like, but you don't get it. My wife or my husband is the greatest human being on the planet and they are my best friend. That friendship doesn't go away. But what you... What you will see is that God is able to satisfy the deepest parts of your body and soul relationally in a way that no human ever could. What you'll realize is that what God has prepared for you is better than the shadows that we're living in today. I want you to watch in verse four what God does. And and, and you're going to notice how deeply emotional this experience is. Remember in Revelation 21, it seems that God is unveiling for the first time to all of humanity, this new earth and this new Jerusalem. In verse four, it says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Have you ever had somebody wipe away tears from your eyes? It is one of the most vulnerable but meaningful experiences. And this is what parents do for their children When their children are weeping and they are scared, it's an act of a father or a mother who holds you close and you know as long as you're with them, everything is going to be okay. John goes on and he says, death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne, here's what he says, behold, I am making all things new. Uh, I want to give you just something for fun to do at lunch. There should be no controversy in this. This is a great way for you and your family to dream about what might be. We root our minds in God's words and use our holy imagination. I want you to imagine together what are all the former things? What are the things that exist here but on the new earth will not exist? I have a few ideas to get your brains going. Door locks. Anybody forget, dudes? You guys ever forget to lock the door at night? Am I the only one? Okay, good. Airbags. Police. Prisons. Orphanages. I thought about different industries. Here are the following industries. I have a hunch won't exist. Fossil fuels. Weapons and defense. Insurance. Amen? And for those of you who are like really big geeks, reinsurance. Do you know there are insurance companies that exist just to insure insurance companies? They're called reinsurance. That's ridiculous. Medical industries, pharmaceuticals, counseling. I mean, you go down the line. Here's a question for you. Will there be churches and pastors on the new earth? Or will Jesus be enough? Sin is so interwoven into our experience of reality that even just imagining the things that won't exist there because the only reason they exist here is because of death and because of sin, 
So when you go out to lunch, just start imagining all of the things that won't exist, all of the industries that won't exist, all of the jobs that won't exist because of sin. Will there be mailmen? I don't know. UPS? Probably not. Number three, you will experience God's justice forever. God's justice is experienced in two ways. The first way is seen in verse six, and it is for those who have trusted in Jesus. You are going to be given access to the water of life without payment. He says this, to the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life. And what I love about this is the thirsty is anybody who personally trusts Jesus. And if you have trusted in Jesus, the water of life will be freely, fully, permanently, forever accessible to you. And here's what that means. The only people who are able to actually access the water of life are those who have been forgiven of their sins. And so we, we often say here, there's one of two options for you in dealing with your sin. The first option is that Jesus pays for your sin for you in your place on the cross. If you are thirsty, you have asked him to apply that sacrifice to your life right now. And when you are on the new earth, you are gonna have, have complete freedom to roam and rule and reign because all of your sins have been paid for justly by Jesus who is a sacrifice for you in your place. But the second way your sins are going to be dealt with, if it is not by Jesus, it will then inevitably be by you and your body and your soul and emotions in hell forever. Now here's what verse 8 says. As for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. And as we preached on our sermon on hell, we saw is that the resurrection of the dead, it's all the dead. It is those who have trusted in Jesus and those who have rejected Jesus. That every single person that has ever or will ever live will get a resurrected body. And then the question that we answered in the sermon on hell is, okay, well then where is hell if hell is a physical place? And the book of Isaiah actually, which gives so much insight into the book of Revelation, tells us exactly where the lake of fire hell is going to be. It says that it will be on the new earth. Here's what Isaiah 66, 22 says. As the new heavens and the new earth that I make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your offspring and your name remain. In verse 24, speaking about the new heavens and the new earth, they shall go out, who's they? That is every person whose sins have been paid for by Jesus. They shall go out and look on the dead bodies of the men who have rebelled against me. For their worms shall not die, their fire shall not be quenched, and they shall be an abhorrence to all flesh. And as we said in the Sermon on Hell, I do not understand how two things can simultaneously coexist. We can have access to see hell, and we will have no weeping nor sorrow. And the best theologians have come up with is that God's justice will be so good, right, true, and satisfying that we will ultimately delight in it. But Here's what we see. Somehow, if you want access, you will be able to have it. And the smoke will rise up and apparently be seen globally for all of humanity to savor the justice of God. We go to number four. You will experience international peace. Okay. 
Verses 24 to 26 are just so fun to dig into. We're going to dig into this. It says this, by its light, the lamb, the nations will walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day and there will be no night there and they will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations. I have two questions. Number one, what are the glory and the honor of the nations? And the book of Isaiah actually tells us what those are. Isaiah 60 verse six says, they shall bring gold and frankincense and they shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. Two things, kings from all over the earth are going to bring wealth and worship. Now, already your brain is like, wait a minute, Pastor Michael, I thought we were singing forever and ever and ever indefinitely without end, always into all of eternity. Apparently, there's something else happening on the new earth. Worship is a huge part of it, but it is, is singing, worship through singing, the only part of it. Definitely not. We'll go deeper. My second question is, okay, what is a nation? In, in my brain, governments are gone. In my brain, when I think about the new earth and Jesus reigning, there's only one government and it's his government. And yet what's interesting here is that governments seem to continue to exist. So here's what a nation is. A nation is a land with boundaries, laws, culture, and government. So what it seems, it seems that actually there might be more commerce happening on this new earth than we even understand. There, these verses alone, have huge implications. I'm gonna just run down six massive implications of these two verses. Here we go. The new earth will have governments to oversee territory. Notice it's not just nation, it's nations, plural. In fact, um, there seems to be kings of nations. And for me, this makes sense of Jesus's teachings in a very helpful way. Here, here's one, Matthew 5, 19. He says this, Whoever relaxes one of the least of the commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. When Jesus talks about the kingdom, the new earth, the place where we're gonna be forever, he talks that there will be least and there will be greatest. So this idea of like a socialist eternity where everybody has the same actual experience probably doesn't rhyme true with Scripture. We even see here that kings and leadership and authority, they're actually not bad things. They're bad things this side of the world because we are sinners. But what happens in a new earth where you have only righteous, servant-hearted kings overseeing humble, submissive, collaborative nations that work together in international peace and collaborate for the good of their God and bring their wealth that bring their prosperity and bring their worship back to the new Jerusalem in honor of their living God. The new earth will have land and property ownership. Is that interesting? Isaiah 65, listen to what it says. Again, you're gonna notice that Isaiah has so much to say and it kind of builds all the foundations for John's vocabulary and revelation. Isaiah 65, 21 says, they shall build houses and inhabit them. What? They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit they shall not build in another inhabit. The new earth will have number three, meaningful work that blesses the Lord. Some of you really love retirement. Imagine if your body never got tired and you had the greatest job that was designed for you and your body and your soul that blessed not just you, but the nations and God. 
Imagine that there was never a day that you went to work without purpose, wishing that your manager or your boss would go away or wishing that that employee would finally just quit. Imagine all of that goes away and you get to work optimally. Isaiah 65, 22 says, talking about the houses they build, my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. Isn't that cool? The new earth will have, number four, very likely various cultures. It seems that the new earth does not get rid of skin tones and cultures, that there seems to be something really special about all of this stuff. And so we surmise art, music, like what does music sound like there? How do you record it? How do you distribute it? I mean, these are questions that go through my brain. I've just kind of racked my brain and said, okay, don't think about that. Literature, will there be books written that mesmerize and engage us? Food, Isaiah 25, 6 says, on this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food. Amen, anyone? Again, I just, a feast of well-aged wine. And some of you are like, not me, I'm not going to that. It's fine. Of rich food full of marrow. Isn't it weird? Marrow is the word he uses here of aged wine, well-refined. But it's interesting, all of the notions that we struggle with here are just kind of gone. There's something that God does to bless humanity and no longer do we have propensity to alcoholism or legalism or anything in between. That we're able to delight in creation and use it the way God intended without sin, flaw, indulgence, but all to the glory of God. The new earth will have number five, travel. So I want you to notice what the kings are doing. They're coming from around the globe and they are traveling to the new Jerusalem to worship. So I still have a handful of questions, by the way, from last week that I don't have answered yet. Number one, might we teleport so that we could travel immediately? Like how do they get from one side of the globe to the new Jerusalem? Are we constrained by gravity? Are three dimensions only a reality of the fallen world? What does travel look like when you combine the spiritual realm and the physical realm, and now we have full access to all of it? Anyone else's brains like a little tired from just thinking about that? I am. And then here's the, here's the sixth implication of this. The new earth will have worship. Isaiah 66, 23, new moon to new moon and Sabbath to Sabbath, all flesh will come to worship before me, declares the Lord. This also implies ease of global travel. Is your, is your, are your concepts of the new earth shifting a little bit? Are you, are you starting to realize that it's not just sitting in church 24-7, 365 for all of infinity? All right, let's go back to our experiences. We have our, we're at our fifth experience now. You will experience life and healing forever. Chapter 22, verse 21 then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb, and likely it's bright as crystal because the glory of God, the light that emanates from God, is filling all of this water, and it is reverberating off of it, and it is mesmerizing to look at. Verse 2, through the middle of the street of the city also, on either side of the, tr the river, the tree of life, with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. It's striking to me that Adam and Eve never ate of the tree of life. What did they run for? They ran right for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. On the new earth, you know what you will not find? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
In fact, now you have the tree of life and it's bearing fruit and it gives new fruit every month and there's something about this tree that provides healing. Now healing this side of the new earth, it's slow, it's arduous, amen? It's frustrating. You talk about spiritual healing, emotional healing, mental healing, relational healing. It's a process. There's something about the fruit of this tree that provides immediate, total, perfect healing of all traumas and wounds on the dime. Give me that fruit today, please. Isaiah chapter 9 you know this because it's a Christmas verse, but it gives this picture of Jesus, the Messiah, reigning and ruling over the entire world. Here's what he says. And I want you to think about how healing, after millennia of this crazy world, how healing it will be to have a leader like this. To us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And now it fast forwards to the new earth. The government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Number six, on the new earth, you will experience reigning with God forever. Chapter 22, verse three. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the lamb will be in it and his servants will worship him. Will there be worship? You better believe it. Will it be far better than anything you've ever experienced on earth? You better believe it. What does it look like to worship God with resurrected bodies where your brains aren't distracted in any way, shape, or form? Will I be able to sing on key? That is the question. I think so. They will see his face in verse four. His name will be written on their foreheads. By the way, why do you write names on objects? To declare ownership. Number five, verse five, night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light because the glory of God flows, emanates from him and they will reign forever and ever. I just have three questions. Who will reign? This is the easy one. Humanity with God. Who is, who is we? Who, who, who might surprise us? Let me just, I want to bring something to your attention. Heaven is going to be, sorry, the new earth will be filled with multitudes beyond imagination. And let me just give you just a little glimpse of who the least are here that I have a hunch are going to be the greatest there. Miscarried babies. Countless billions throughout history. Every one of them made in the image of God, resurrected to new life. Mothers and fathers will meet their children. Mothers and fathers will meet children they didn't even know they had. Aborted babies. Could we call them the least? Resurrected to new life. 
called the greatest, probably. Reigning and ruling, reconciling with believing parents who did this. Bringing God glory. And I'm telling you, when you think of all of the people on planet Earth, this is the tip of the iceberg. Let's talk about children five years old and under who die annually. 3.1 million children every year around the globe die annually because of, this is a, a, a portion of it, because of hunger and mal, malnutrition-related issues. Every year globally, there are about 10 million children who die five years and under, and I am confident they come from every single nation on this planet. Their parents are all different sorts of religions. And you are going to meet children from every tribe, tongue, and, and, and nation throughout all of history. Every child ever sacrificed to Moloch despite the faith of their parents. And God, in this unbelievable act of righteousness and mercy, will fill heaven with the least on this earth. I, I just cannot wait. If you want to go deeper into Pastor Michael, how can you justify that biblically? We just released um, a podcast, Pastor Craig and I, on that on Village Church Digital. You can go deeper there. My third question, what will we reign over? Creation, animals, angels, nations, economies, the world, galaxies? Multiverses? <laughs> Together, the least in this world are going to be kings and rulers with God in the next forever and ever. I'm gonna share with you three so what's. Number one, make choices here with there in mind. Second Corinthians 5.10, Paul says, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. I'm gonna say this again, and I think I've said it in almost every single sermon in this series. Every act of faithfulness here will be rewarded there. And when you stand in judgment, you will regret all of the times where you could have been faithful, but you chose to be faithless. And don't get me wrong, the blood of Christ will cover that, but there will be loss. So choose today, live, live here as if there is real because it is. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 13, each, each one's work will become manifest or will become visibly made clear. For the day will disclose it. God's going to expose everything going on. Because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he's going to receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Uh, I want to... Just say this again. The least here are going to be the greatest there. So I just put together a short list of all of the things that Jesus says the greatest there do here. Ready? So if you want to be great there, Matthew 5, 12 says that those who are persecuted for faithfulness to Jesus will be great there. I don't know what the future looks like. I don't know what it means to be a Christian at work or in your school. 
I don't know if what it means to be a Christian in your home. Be faithful to Jesus because those who are persecuted will be great there. Matthew 5, 19, those who not just teach, but obey the word of God will be great there. Matthew 20, 26, those who lead by serving here will be great there. Luke 6, 35 and 36, those who love their enemies, lend expecting nothing in return, and are merciful here, will be great there. In Luke 9, 48, this is actually one of my favorite ones. The greatest there are the ones who invest in children here. You work in kidsmen? Fastest way to be a king in the new earth. <laughs> that should be, by the way, the kids' ministry's uh, uh, recruiting technique. Some of you might be worried in your brain, like, if I'm the least in heaven, is that going to be a bad experience? And Jesus in 11, Matthew 11, 11, goes out of his way to communicate that the least in the kingdom of heaven there is greater than the greatest on earth here. So, so don't worry. Even if you got in by the hair of your chinny-chin-chin and all of your good works were burned us through fire and you were the thief on the cross who at the very last second believed you will be greater in the kingdom of heaven than the greatest here on earth. But why forfeit the blessings that God has designed and wants to give to you for this momentary, temporary, small thing compared to the blessings that will be revealed to you? Number two, remember that God will make all your sorrows here worth it there. Romans 8, 18. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. I have found that Christians who live most for the world here are probably the ones who have had some of the hardest lives. That our suffering makes us ignore God or accuse God. And I, I'm telling you, life is going to get harder and harder. You'll have good weeks and bad years and bad year, good years and bad weeks. And this is just the nature of living this world. Either you will die or all you love will die first. This is the inevitability of life. We already know this. Paul had a harder life than I think most all of us in this room put together. And when he got a vision into the third heaven, he stepped back and he said, I get it. You want to push God away. You want to be angry at him. If God was good, why did he? And Paul's response is, if you saw what he had prepared for you, if you saw what he was going to do, you would never shake your fist at him. You would trust him because you would see how good and present and loving he is. And finally, my last so what is this? Trust him. The best is yet to come. It's a cliche phrase we use. But in God's kingdom, it is so true. And so if you're here today and you have never trusted in Jesus, I have really great news for you. I don't have to tell you you're a sinner. I think you already know. And if you don't know, everyone around you will affirm that you are. But God loves you. Jesus has offered to pay for your sins. And not only is he offering you forgiveness of sins, he is offering you the new earth as a gift for all of eternity. 
That is just a deal that is too good to refuse. And so if you're here today and you have never trusted in Jesus, I want to just personally invite you. When the service is done, if that's a decision you want to make, I would encourage you to tell somebody you came with, come talk to one of us up front. I'd love to pray with you, encourage you. But if you know that Jesus is God and he died on the cross, if you believe that he was raised from the dead, make today the day that you personally trust in him. And, and all you have to do, we're gonna have a time of silence in a bit. And you can just say, God, I believe in Jesus. I believe he died for my sins. I believe he rose from the, from the dead. Would you save me? I'm done trying to earn salvation. By the way, you'll never be good enough. Will you forgive me? There's no magical prayer. Like the words you say will not be perfect. If you go before God and tell him you're a sinner and you believe in him and ask him to save you, God will save you. And so I wanna invite you today to trust in, in Christ. And then for the rest of you in this room who you've already believed in Jesus, I wanna invite you, continue to personally trust in him every day. And when sin comes your way, trust in him again and again. When your heart is doubting, trust in him. When this world brings suffering to you, trust in him. When economies fail, trust in him. When politicians fail, trust in him. When your bank accounts fail, trust in him. When your employers fail, trust in him. Because every single act of faithfulness and trust to God here will be rewarded there. He will make it worth your while. I wanna, I wanna close this series by reading to you a passage from the very last book of the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. The book is called The Last Battle. And Aslan is the God figure, the Jesus figure in this book. And, and here's what he says as the series ends and they all get brought into their new earth. It says, and as he, Aslan, spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion. But the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And, and for us, this is the end of all the stories. And we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever and ever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. Let's pray together. Father, I am thankful that in a dreary, sinful, fallen world, you paint for us throughout your scriptures from Old Testament to New Testament an image of a new earth that is worth longing for. And we confess our minds cannot even begin to comprehend. Would you encourage our hearts? Would you help us long for eternity? And God, when we get there, we are gonna worship you. We're gonna work. We're gonna create. We're gonna travel. And we're gonna bless you all without sin, all to the glory and honor of Jesus Christ as we reflect your glory like the stars of the sky. Cannot wait for that day. We love you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. We're gonna celebrate communion now if you're new with us and you have personally trusted in Jesus. I wanna invite you to participate with us. If you have never trusted in Christ, we ask that you not participate because the partaking of this is a personal declaration of faith. Today, if you're ready to trust in Christ, I want to invite you to partake of communion with us. 
and let this be your declaration. Elements are um, over to my right. Uh, there's a column, and over to my left is another column, and then back between the double doors, there are elements there. In just a minute, we're gonna have a time of silence, and we're gonna sing together. And during the song, I wanna invite you at any time, you can get up, and you can go grab elements. And um, we're going to ask you, if you would just hold on to them, we are going to partake of them all together as a symbol of our unity in Christ after the song. Let's have a time of silence together.